All right. Well, let's get rolling, guys. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We've been in this series for a while, but we began to turn our attention here and looking at the areas of salvation. It's a buzzword. It's a term that gets thrown around, but, but we don't often really drill into what that even means. And as we've talked about, the, the, the biggest adherence to understanding the relationship that we have with God is the fact that we don't understand this. And because we don't understand this, we've got all these ideas about God. We've got all these, these things that have been implanted in our minds, either through uh, perhaps a denominational upbringing that you had, perhaps a lack of a denominational upbringing that you had, perhaps it's movies and books, um, incredibly influential in everything they say, but, but is it really true? When we're getting down to the character of God, we've got to ask ourselves the question, it's like, well, how do we know anything about God outside of the Bible? Because anything that is stated about God as a true statement has to be able to be backed up or verified in some capacity. And if we can't do that, then it's nothing more than an opinion. And that opinion could be correct. However, we've got to have something. So the idea that God is love, true statement. But how do we define what that means? We look through the pages of Scripture see how God's love has been manifest throughout time. Love comes with things that we like, and it also comes with things that we don't like. I told my kids a while back, because you know what they don't like? They don't like rules. And they don't like obeying those rules all the time. And I said, I'm not trying to raise a good child. I'm trying to make you into a productive human being as when you get older. So I don't care if you don't like the rules. Someday you get to make your own. I swore I was never going to make that statement when I was growing up. I was never going to act like you guys. Guess what? I act just like them. I fall asleep in my chair every night, just like he did. You know, it's all the same stuff. But the thing is, it's like, but when we get to these ideas of God, we've got to understand the Scriptures. And when that takes time, and that takes some dedication, and it takes some effort on our part. We have treated the things of God as that somehow we're just going to pick them up through osmosis. If we just hear enough of the right stuff, or see enough of the right stuff, or be around the right people, they'll all come in. And I dealt with a bunch of good church folk back where we came from before we were here. And they had wonderful children who could recite pages of Scripture. But I'm like, I had to explain to them, you cannot mistake morality for spirituality. Well-behaved children, not redeemed by the blood, end up in the same place as bad-behaved children, not redeemed by the blood. See, we've got to know what that means. And we're talking about salvation. What are we saved from? So the biggest thing that I've always I've said, when I, when I stumbled onto this many years ago, it began to, Scripture began to come alive to me. It started to make sense. And the idea of the covenants, because there's a bunch of covenants throughout Scripture, a bunch. And we've hit on the major ones. We're not going to spend a ton of time here. But you've got all of these different covenants that are found on the pages of Scripture. And all of them are important. Every single one of them. But what we learned is that most of these covenants were what God said He was going to do on behalf of mankind. Noah, I'm never flooding the world again. Here's a rainbow. Every time you see it, you'll remember. Every time I see it, I'll remember. I will never do it again. So Noah had no reason to keep the ark intact just in case people were naughty again and God changed His mind. Because God doesn't change His mind. But it was a promise. But the Mosaic Covenant was unique. 
Because with it came a list of things that you had to do and the things that you had to avoid. And with the nation of Israel, I said, hey, listen, if you do this, you will be blessed. God promised it. You keep these things, you will be blessed. But if you don't, you will be cursed. God did not strong arm them and say, listen, you have to do this. He had already brought them out of Egypt. There was nothing more necessarily that he forced them to do. And they said, yeah, all the things that you have said, we will do. And so they ratified the covenant. So it's in place. And then they broke it. And then they broke it. And then they broke it. And then they broke it again. They continue to break it. Time and time again. It's the one where it was predicated on man's ability to keep God's promises. And with that, when they kept it, what were they? They were blessed. And when they broke it, what were they? They were cursed. Who kept their end of the bargain? God did every single time. Every time. When they were in bondage to Babylon, it was a promise. Could you avoid it? Yeah. They chose not to. So when we get to the new covenant, this is where the term salvation, you got to be saved, you must be born again. This is where those terms come from. But the question is, what are we saved from? What are we saved to? How do we get there? And what does it even mean? And that's where we begin to unpack the ideas of this new covenant. And so I'm going to just recap a little bit from last week, just get everybody on the same page, and then we're going to move forward. This new covenant was inaugurated after the establishment of the kingdom of God because when Jesus died and he was buried and he was resurrected, guess what? New covenant's in force. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like what we see in Ezekiel 37. He said, prophesy to those dry bones. And they came to life. All these weird things that we don't make connections to because we don't understand that the new covenant is built upon the foundation of the old. And so with that, we have to look at this and say, okay, what are we free from? What did Jesus' death pay for? Because whatever it paid for, it redeemed to you and I, is a right that you and I have. We have a bill of rights in this country. We have a right to the freedom of speech, to the freedom of religion. Yeah, I know, they're fighting it, aren't they? But it is a right. Doesn't mean they don't try. Okay? You have a right to bear arms. You have a right, if you ever get arrested, to keep your mouth shut. Start, number one, don't get arrested. Okay? You don't have to worry about keeping your mouth shut. I mean, you have all of these things in place that is a guarantee to you. And yeah, you may have to fight for it because somebody fight, fought prior to keep it. But it is your right. And in the same way that we have this Bill of Rights and these things that we can expect... We have the same thing in this new covenant. In other words, whatever God promised with this covenant is something we should expect. Is that fair enough? It's no different. When we go back, I know some of you guys are looking at me cross-eyed, so let me help you out. In the Mosaic covenant, when they broke it, didn't keep the commandments, should they have expected God's judgment? Absolutely. Why? He said, I'm going to do it. And in the same way, when God made a promise that if you keep it, you will be blessed and all these good things are going to happen, should they have expected it? Absolutely. In fact, we see that in several places. Why was David so confident going up against the Philistine? Because God had said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood toe-to-toe with Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, if you throw us in there, it's not going to be good for you. They weren't worried. 
Why not? Because God had promised. Why did Abraham have no problem marching up the mountain with Isaac? Okay? Isaac's looking around like, hey, I know you said we were going to sacrifice. We got the wood. We got the lighter. We're missing something, pops. Where's the animal? God will provide himself. Walks up there, lays him out, pulls the knife. Why was he so confident? Because God had promised that Isaac was going to have kids. And so he knew, hey, if I do this, I'm obedient to God. God's going to resurrect him. There was no doubt. Why was he so confident? Because God promised. Why are we not confident? We have a better covenant built upon better promises. So, as we enter into this new covenant, we will get to the point of how one does that. But what are we free from? Ultimately, y'all, we are free from death. And that matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, guess what? We are all in Adam. The moment you were born, you are in Adam. And what comes with that? Death. Death entered the world because of a decision made by Adam. Adam takes of the fruit. Death enters in. Did he die immediately? No. In the Hebrew, it says dying you will die. He died spiritually. The life of God was no longer his covering. That means this mortal body no longer had the spirit of God, if you will, in it, keeping alive, quickening that mortal body. And so death physically began to uh, uh, happen the moment spiritual death entered in. You and I are born into this world. Physical death is all around us. If God hadn't designed a body with an immune system, the cold would take you out. I mean, think about that. The things we do, I just, this week, you see that my hand, I was messing with something, I cut myself. Do you realize that that would kill me if I didn't have all the little doodads in there that make that stop bleeding? Some people don't. I have a friend of mine who has to get a shot every time he gets a paper cut to make it coagulate. I hope that's the right word because I threw it out there. I'm not a doctor, contrary to popular belief. But, but I mean, think about that. Our body was designed to heal itself. So we should expect that. So we are free from death spiritually. All will die physically. Should we be concerned with that? No. Should we fear death? No. Why? Because this body this life is temporary anyway it's the eternal one that matters the things of this world are all going away and we spend so much time focused on what we see think about it ladies if you didn't spend half the time you spent dolling yourself out before you went out in public how much time would you have the only exception of that <laughs> yeah you mopped the floor right the only exception is Walmart. They don't take any time to get ready before they go out, right? But the thing is, y'all, I mean, think about this. We spend so much time working, so much money keeping this baby look, just running right, looking right, doing right. We put the right clothes on it. Make sure you put some clothes on it, okay? Like, we go to great efforts, but what do we do spiritually? Uh, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, we pray before our food. That's about it. Think about that. We spend our entire existence making sure this one is in good shape. And we kind of hope through osmosis and doing the right thing and being around the right people that maybe this one inside, the one that matters, looking at it from the true reality, will come to be. 
So we're free from death. We're also saved from the wrath of God. It's coming. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Is it not amazing that in the history of mankind, nobody has ever walked up to this elaborate skyscraper and thought, man, how did that thing come together by itself? Not once. We've never walked by this beautiful building and thinking, man, the wind, maybe the wind blew that together, or something exploded and created that. But the most complex machine in a man happened by accident. And an even more complex machine in the woman happened to come along at the same time so that the two could become one and make more. What has been revealed about God is revealed in them. So you have to choose to suppress the truth. In what? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. That means that there is a godly way and there is a righteous way. Who gets to decide what that way is? God didn't ask your opinion. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, and whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? What's he talking about? He's telling you that the judgment of God is righteousness, and the hypocritical judgment of man is unrighteous. Not to not judge. He's not telling you not to judge. We make judgment. He said, but if you're telling them to stop and you're doing the same thing, what do you call that? Yeah. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So in accordance to what? The hardness and your impenitent heart. God's wrath is being poured out. You're treasuring yourself up. So, should mankind be surprised when the wrath of God is poured out upon it because they've chosen the unrighteous and the ungodly? No. But will they be? Sure. Were the Israelites shocked? Oh God, why are you doing this to us? Uh, remember the rules that we laid out? The agreement that we had? You see, it's going to be the same. What you and I are saved from is we are saved from God's wrath. We are saved from death. And now, as a result of being in this new covenant, because I don't want to use the term salvation anymore. We are now in a covenant relationship with God that the Gentile world had never experienced as a whole. Because to be in covenant relationship with God prior to that is that you had to enter into the Mosaic covenant and you had to come in and reject all your nationality and all the gods that you worshipped and all the different things that you had done and you would become circumcised and you would enter in and become one like the Jews. We now have access to God. They didn't have access to God. God was in a place in the tabernacle or in the temple who had access to God. 
high priest, one man. One man, one day a year. They didn't have access to God. They didn't have peace with God. You know what peace with God is? We no longer have to work to stay off that wrath. Every year, that high priest had to make a sacrifice. And every day, those Israelites were making various sacrifices of of things that they had to do for things that they had done wrong or missed. And sometimes they were grateful sacrifices and, and thankful sacrifices. It's not all what we would consider negative, but, but they had all of these things to do. You and I have access to God because we are that temple. You and I have peace with God. We don't have to worry about His judgment being poured out upon us because the judgment was poured out upon our Savior. The Mosaic Covenant was a covenant hinged upon the things that you had to do the new covenant is hinged upon what Jesus has already done that you have the opportunity to enter into should you choose so you see it's a grace first works thing and this is where we've screwed up as the church because we look at God as graceful especially in the New Testament and it's true he is his grace is being demonstrated but he was also graceful in the Old Testament his grace saying hey the iniquities of the Amorites have not come up 400 years Hey, Jonah, those people you hate, go tell them what's coming, that they might repent. What did Jonah want to do? No, 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 God. Just tell me where to point. I'll pull the trigger for you. Let me help you out. I told somebody years ago that it's a good thing that I don't control the smiter. There'd be a lot of smitten folk around, right? Don't give me the nuclear codes. I got a list of people, y'all. That's a joke. Stay with me. But, but, but think about that. He didn't want to go. But in God's mercy, he's like, no, no, no. I know what they've been doing. And it's bad. And I know what they've done to you and your people. And it's bad. But go tell them. If they don't change their ways, my wrath will be poured upon them. Jonah didn't want to go. He said, no, that's okay. And God said, Jonah, you can go in a boat. And you can go in a fish. But you're going to go. And what happened after he went? They repented. And what did Jonah say? Oh, thank you, God. This is so wonderful. No, he's like, why did you do that? These people suck. He was upset. You see, God was grace. His grace was just being poured out every bit about his wrath. You have, in the Old Testament, thousands of years. and the New Testament, tens of years. You have a long history in one. You have a short history in another. The difference is, is the wrath to be poured out happened once in Jesus and will happen again prophetically. But it's all there. But we've turned the grace versus works thing as the works are, well, you can't do anything good enough to come to God, which is true. And people will try. You know, you got to go to church. you got to give money. You should be baptized or go through confirmation. Take communion. You should do, those things won't save you. That's not what the works is talking about. The term communion is not even in the Bible. The works were the works of the law. The works of the Mosaic Covenant. Remember, New Testament is written by Jewish men to Jewish men. They knew it. You and I are a product of a system that has changed the de- terminology. The definition of the words are no longer the same. Romans chapter 3 Verse 20 says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You change the word deeds to works of the law, and it would all make sense with what I just said. No matter what they did, how perfect they were, they could never appease the wrath of God because it was always temporary. And at some point, they're going to get it wrong again. They're going to have to sacrifice again. But Jesus being high priest, 
after he had made the sacrifice, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. The high priest didn't get to sit down. He was always on the clock. Why did he sit down? Work's been completed. See, theirs was a works-based righteousness. Ours was a work-based righteousness that Jesus did for us. They were not prepared for that. They weren't expecting a wholesale change, if you will, in the way that one enters into a covenant relationship with God. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is where the great debate comes. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, there's a great argument. What is the basis of the argument? Does one have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Why did they think that they did? Because one had to be circumcised to enter into the Mosaic Covenant, to be in covenant relationship with God. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. You had to be. Paul argues with them, and so what do they do? All right, let's go to Jerusalem, and let's talk to the apostles and the elders. Why Jerusalem? At this point, that's where the church was centered at. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them and to keep the law of Moses. Now, why did the Pharisees say that? Because their entire lives, they were told that you have to keep the commands of Moses, you have to be circumcised, and up until the point of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they were 100% accurate. So it wasn't what they were saying was wrong. It was that the circumstances had changed. And a greater covenant had now been introduced. A covenant that was set up for all mankind. And the way that one enters is completely different. Because it's not based on works. It's based on the work. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. It made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, what is he saying? He's talking about his interaction with Cornelius. When God gave him that vision and that, that, that curtain was laid down or that sheet was laid down, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. He says, well, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And then this whole thing with Cornelius, and he's there. He doesn't know why he's there. The Holy Spirit told him to go. These guys show up. He goes with them. They say, hey, God told us to go get you. Did you tell us? So tell us. So he begins to tell them. And while he's talking to them, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. How did he know? He heard them praying in tongues. And he was shocked. 
And he said, well, uh, since this happened, I suppose we could baptize these guys. They were Gentiles. He wasn't even supposed to be in their house. Not only was he shocked, but all the Jewish men that were with him, they were shocked. And then he goes back in chapter 11, and he tells the whole story again. And the people he told the story to, they were shocked. Why? Because they weren't prepared for that. Wait a minute. This isn't just for the Jews. They were waiting for their reigning king, who was going to set them free from the Gentile world. And now you're telling me that just like us, they can be saved. And what does he say? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, they being who? The Gentiles. It's a powerful statement. He didn't put they like us, he put us like they. It's interesting that he would phrase it that way. You see, it wasn't by works, and the Pharisees just were not prepared for that, so they said, okay, I guess we can see that now. And so they sent out a letter. But what do we do now? Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceful, gentle, uh, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now stop for a moment. What works of righteousness is He referring to? The covenant that the Jewish people were under, the Mosaic one. Those were the works of righteousness. Did he do them? Yes. He says, which we have done. But it wasn't like that. It's according to his mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How are we justified? By his work. See, he did the work, and now he's given that to you. Before, they did the work, and then they'd have to do the work again, and again and again. The work has been completed. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Maintain them when? After they've received the grace, the work. We maintain them, but we don't do them to get us there. You see, as the result of this new covenant, you and I are redeemed. Anything that Jesus paid for, we have a right to. Any promise made by God in this new covenant is a guarantee to you, and you should expect it every single time. Why? He who made the promise is faithful. Man wavers. God doesn't. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, it says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure for my sin. Who can say that? No. We can say the last part. I am pure for my sin. But we didn't make our heart clean. Jesus did. You see, nobody prior to that could ever make that statement. They were never purified. They were never redeemed. They were never set free. You and I have been set free from the death 
that we deserve, from the wrath that we deserve. We have access to God. We have peace with God. Look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 15. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What did verse 18 just say? Set free from sin. It's an interesting statement. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holy. Who does it? Who presented their members to unrighteousness? We did. Who presents their members to holiness? We do. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, there it is again. Isn't that interesting? And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. What does wages mean? You got a job? You get wages. What is it? You trade time for dollars. You show up a certain amount of hours. They agreed to pay you a certain amount for those hours. That's your wage. So, when we live in the unfruitful, unclean, unholy life, what is our wage? It's death. What happens when we do the opposite? The gift of God is eternal life. You guys see this? See, we don't understand this because of the terminology, this grace versus works thing. We've turned it into this free-for-all in a lot of the church world today because we just seem to think that there is no stipulation attached. We don't make the stipulation. God does. As a result of this new man, the old man begins to look different, act different, talk different, be different. He carries the new man everywhere he goes. Underneath the law, murder and adultery were wrong. It was bad. You didn't do it. And guess what? Under the new covenant, they're still wrong. But Jesus kind of doubled down on it. If you have hate in your heart. See, that's a whole change. It wasn't the act. It was a heart thing. If you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. They were struggling to keep the other stuff. See, Jesus doubled down. Look at 2 Corinthians verse 5. It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Well, what is He talking about? The ambassador part we know. Because that means we are a representative of Christ. But what did Jesus set us free from? We just read it. Free from sin. See, it talks about in various places. And I, I'm not putting all these verses up because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of these. But you are free from sin. That means you don't have to sin. That means you choose to. Nobody ever 
without some sort of a premeditation, committed a sin in some capacity. They've allowed themselves to do it. Nobody's ever been forced into adultery. Nobody ever accidentally had an affair. Think about that. They chose to. We choose to. Whatever sin it is that we are doing this flesh, we make that conscious choice. Do we get to determine what is sin and what is not sin? No, God does. And yes, there's forgiveness. But He's saying present your members in holiness because we are His ambassador, representative. So that means that if a born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer chooses to have an affair, how are they representing Christ? Not very well. It's even worse when they try to justify it. You see, there are decisions that are made as a result of this new man being in here. That this body is nothing but the sheath to the sword that is inside of me. This body begins to act different naturally. You see this throughout history. Why has there been persecution on Christians for all time? The reason being is because truly born-again people filled with the Holy Spirit will not go along with whatever the culture of that time says. Because the culture of that time is counter to the things of God. I've told you this, but remember, in Smyrna or Pergamum, I forget, but they were required as they walked into the Colosseum, it talks about this in Revelation 2 or 3, I don't remember which one it is, but they would have to walk in, they would grab a pinch of incense, and they would burn it on the fire and say, Caesar is Lord. And it's referencing that act. You can read this through history, but it's referencing that act in Revelation 2 or 3. Again, I don't remember exactly which one it is. And there was debate among those who called themselves Christians. Remember, Christian is a term that was only used three times in the New Testament. It was followers of the way. They were entering a new covenant, and Jesus was the example. And the debate came down to, okay, if we don't do this, what happens to us? Likely death. We're risking our lives. They may not kill us. They may just beat us. They may do something, but there was a consequence. But if we do it, we get a pass for another day. And you had some that are like, listen, you don't have to mean it. It's okay. Just do it. It just gets you by. You've got kids. You've got a family to support. You need to take care of them. So they would go in there, pinch it. Caesar is Lord. I didn't really mean it, Jesus. But some refused. Like, no, we can't do that. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me think about that. See, this is the world that we're in today. Is that the more the church tries to be holy, the more the culture will begin to hate them. So what does the church tend to do? Just pinch it. It's going to be okay. Just say it. Be fine. As long as you don't mean it. See, that's where we're at. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Who is? Jesus is. You see, Jesus set us free from sin. Anytime we sin, we made a choice. Has your child ever accidentally lied to you? No, it's a conscious decision and that they chose, right? I mean, you think about that. Pick a sin that isn't premeditated in some way or another. There isn't one. We choose. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, In you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Uncircumcision of your flesh, that is a Jewish term. Because even Moses talked about that. Yeah, you're circumcised. That's great. But your heart is far from God. Talks about another place. You come near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So you're saying the right things, and you're going through the motions, but your heart isn't there. Why do we do that? Because there are things that we want. There's things that this flesh wants, and that we're not willing to give up, to sacrifice, to be holy, because He is holy. You see, this is where we have lost our way. The handwriting of requirements is the law, if you will, coming against us. In other words, we committed a crime, and the handwriting of requirements was whatever punishment needed to be fulfilled, and then at the moment that you had fulfilled the wages of your sin, if you will, they would write to Telestai on that, and you would show that to anywhere you went, if they ever tried to bring those charges up again, it's like, no, 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 I've already paid for this. I don't have to go back. I don't have to spend jail time again. I don't have to pay the fee again. I've already paid it. This is what Jesus did. It was the handwriting of requirements against us. He took. He said, it is finished. And he had taken it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. See, you and I are set free from death, from God's wrath. We're set free from sin. We don't have to do it. We choose to. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Again, what are we talking about? Works, grace. The works were the works of the law, the commandments. We don't do those things to make us right before God. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 again. We're going we're gonna to pick up a little bit more context. Verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death, therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So who is he talking to? The believers. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We shouldn't. We don't have to. We have been set free. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That is a pretty obvious statement, is it not? When a person dies, they are free from sin. They are free from taxes. They're not free from voting, apparently. But they are free from all the bonds of this world at that moment. Why? Because they're dead. Do they care what's on TV? Nope. They don't care about nothing. Because they're dead. I have seen, it always cracks me up when people plan this elaborate, like, 
funeral and all of that. I want this and I want that. I'm like, you're not even going to like be there. You don't even, you know, like stick them in the cheapest thing possible, put them in the ground, call it a day, have good food. That's important. For he who has died, verse 7, has been freed from sin. Freed from sin. Did it just say that we had died before that? Yeah, it did. We died with Jesus. As many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into his death. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Over who? Jesus. Does death have dominion over him? No. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise. What does likewise mean? Just like. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just like Jesus, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Does sin have dominion over you? Some it does. Should it? doesn't have to we choose it we choose it verse 15 what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace certainly not do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey you are that one slaves whom you obey whether of sin leading to death or an obedience leading to righteousness but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Is your your flesh weak? Yeah. Absolutely. And of lawlessness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. That's a word the church doesn't like today. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have? And then in the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end of everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we choose it? Yeah. Have we been set free from it? Yes. We have to choose to walk in that freedom. Chapter 8, verse 1. Jump ahead a little bit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To whom? Those in Christ Jesus. Does that mean there's condemnation for those who are not? Absolutely. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and the law of death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Now, think about that for a minute. What was Acts 15? What did Peter say? Why are you putting a thing on their neck that we couldn't keep? For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. 
God did by sending his own son. See, that's what Peter's talking about. He condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What does it mean to be carnally minded versus spiritually minded? To be carnally minded is to walk up there and be like, Caesar is Lord. It's not just a matter of doing wrong things, what we consider immoral things. It's making decisions that are contrary to what God has already said. There is a reason that you will have missionaries go into lands that are incredibly dangerous, that they risk their lives for. Who willingly does that, if not for a greater purpose? Because they know that this flesh is temporary, but what I'm doing is eternal. I'll give up everything. Read about some of these, these great men of the faith that have come way before you and I and some of the stories that they tell and the things that they face. And you and I are upset when somebody unfriends us on Facebook. Like they risk their lives for this. Why? You don't do that if it's not true. You only do this if it is true. We have been set free from sin. That means that we should no longer be carnally minded, thinking about the things of this world all the things that I can do, the promotion I can take, the money I can go make, if I, if I just do this or I just do that, all of these things. Listen, let me tell you something. Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. We don't seek the things of this world. The things of this world may come to us as a result of us seeking God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise, what should you start with? Fearing God. But what, does it hap- what happens when you fear God? You start doing things His way. And what happens when you start doing things God's way? Everything else comes full circle, doesn't it? You see, this is the problem. We have a church today that is carnally minded, that wants to go with the culture whichever way it goes. And it's been doing this for a long time. But we can't be carnally minded. We've been set free from that carnal mind. We have to renew our mind with the things of Christ, with the words of Christ, with the promises of Christ. And if I'm in this new covenant, then I have a bill of rights. And I have an expectation for God that whatever He said and whatever He promised, that He will do what He said He will do. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. That's concerning. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteous is righteous, just as He is righteous. Do I have to expound upon that? No. Pretty clear, isn't it? But he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Set free. Why was Jesus manifested? Destroy the works of the devil. With that comes sin. We have been set free by everything, from everything that this world offers through the work of Jesus Christ. 
even if we were under that Mosaic covenant and we were really trying hard and trying to keep our laws and make sure we don't touch dead things and we don't do all this other stuff and we make ourselves unclean and all of that, we'd fail every time. Because all it did was prove the fact that no matter how hard they try, it was never going to be enough. But God knew a way out. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Therefore, gird, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? Think about that. When they gird up their loins, it means they would lift their cloth up, they'd wrap it around so they could run, they could do things. That means be prepared. Be sober. And what do we do? We rest our hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you. See, His grace is a hard thing to accept. It's an easy thing to abuse, but it's a hard thing to accept. His grace didn't give us a free-for-all to do whatever we wanted. His grace has set us free from the righteous requirement of the law because no man could do anything good enough. And as a result of that, we are now free from death. We are free from wrath. We are free from sin. That means if we continue to sin, we take that grace for granted. We're not being holy. Why should we be holy? Because He is holy. Why should we do any of these things? How about what He did for us? It's all about Him. We've turned it into all about us. Today's church, we like to worship ourselves. We want to make sure the songs are the ones that we like. And if you look at the lyrics of a, lot of, the, of a lot of the newer stuff, they're centered around man. But what we have here is the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled. When we enter into this new covenant, now we are free from death. We are free from wrath. We are free from sin. We now have access to God. We have peace with God. Think about that. The creator of all things that you can go to at any point in time had never existed prior to that. Never. We take it for granted. So what are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We're saved from death. We're saved from wrath. And we are saved to good works. Representing Christ as if we were ambassadors for Him. Pleading on His behalf. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is true, Lord, and that in all things that... You're bringing correction to where correction needs to be. We're not chasing after the things that feel good, the things that we want, the things that, that maybe in the moment that we'll kind of justify, Lord, but that we will be a people seeking you. That in everything that you do, in everything that you have said, in everything that you have promised, Lord, is a right that we have and an expectation that we can have from you. And Lord, with that comes the fact that we are now free from sin, that we don't have to talk that way, live that way, act that way, Lord, that we are now free from that. And we won't be carnally minded, but we'll be spiritually minded. Renewing our mind to the Word of God. Knowing that every word that you have ever spoken is a precept to us. That we can walk in the fullness of the Spirit and the things that you have promised, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you open doors of opportunity to us each and every day. That we can share the gospel. That those who are lost may, may see the light. To see this, this hope, this grace, this peace. Lord, that no matter what the world is throwing at us, that nothing can stop us. Because we are full of the Holy Spirit and power. So, Father, be glorified in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday.